I'm Warren Berkeley, and these Bible classes are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. And for our study this time, 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's where you will need to be with your Bible open. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 1 through 5. I want to look back for just a moment at the last part of chapter 3 the hymn or poem about the mystery of godliness that goes like this. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's all about Jesus Christ. And this is what Christians believe. But sadly, there are some who depart from the faith. I take you now to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Wouldn't it be just unbelievably encouraging if every person who first believed in Christ continued that belief with consistent obedience all the way until they died? No wavering, no departures, no apostasy, no conflict, no division. Everybody who first believes in Christ continues that belief, and it produces daily obedience without any slip-up, and nobody ever departs from the faith. That's just not the way it is, because we are human beings with the capacity of choice that God has never removed from us, free will. You can make the choice to believe in Christ and obey him, and be a Christian all your life. But there is also the remaining capacity, the free moral agency, to make wrong choices even after you've made right choices. So there are Christians who are faithful for years and then depart from the faith. There are people who repent of their sin and live right but then fall back into that same sin. There are people who are deceived, who are led astray from the truth into error. This is the way it is. So the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, and he says this as moved by the Holy Spirit, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. He speaks of that as a reality. 
But before I address the departure part of that, I think I need to say something about this phrase, in latter times. Today, to many people, that sounds ominous, and it sounds like it's way out in the future. Well, it is ominous, but it is not just way out in the future. The expression, in latter times, pertains to the final dispensation, which includes the time of Paul and Timothy, but also our time as well. The expression is used several times in the New Testament to identify the final period of God's dealings with man, the present dispensation. Now, we're ready for the main phrase, some will depart from the faith. Just as people can make the choice to be believers, there is also the option, but likewise with consequences, of making the choice to depart from the faith, to leave, to walk away. Other words may be used, abandon, fall away, or apostasy. Picture a journey. Picture a journey of faith made possible by Christ, moving closer and closer to God, further away from sin, with heaven as the destination, but then there is a change of course. That's apostasy, departing from the faith. And we see this. People obey the gospel, seem to be growing, involved, solid, ready for every good work. Then, for reasons we may or may not know, they turn from the right course, usually in a very gradual way. They turn from the right course off into sin and error. It is a function of free will, of the ability to make a choice, though the choice to depart from the faith has attached to it dreadful, eternal consequences. Paul said to Timothy, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, this tells us a lot. First, apostates are not captured against their will and forced, kicking and screaming away from the faith and away from God. They devote themselves to the wrong thing. They have a clear and good choice to stay faithful, to stay with the truth of God, to remain sound and obedient as a disciple of Christ. But it says here, they devote themselves to the wrong things. The New King James, they give heed to deceiving spirits. The NIV, they follow deceiving spirits. This is not about being captured or taken or forced against your will. This is about people who start paying attention to the wrong things. They devote themselves to deceiving spirits. Now you may say, well, why do they listen to deceivers? Why do they devote themselves to the teachers of liars who have no conscience? 
Well, part of the answer is liars do not introduce themselves to you as liars. I have said many times, false teachers do not wear name badges telling you who they are and what they are up to. People who are deceived or untrained in Scripture do not advertise their incompetence. The devil uses charm and emotion and favor to deceive those who once had a firm hold on the faith. Notice the devil is using a particular kind of agents, those who are insincere, willing to lie, and who don't care because their consciences are burned down to nothing, seared over. I talk to people who depart from the faith. Often this happens. I ask, are you bothered by some unscriptural practice or is there false teaching? And they say, well, yes or no. They're very unclear. I appeal to them to be clear in what they're doing, in the change that is occurring in their life. I appeal to them to get out of what is wrong or unscriptural or false, to face it with clarity and come back. For whatever reason, many of them don't. They stay away from the faith. They gradually fell away. It's hard to get them back the longer they stay away. A year later, I talk to them, and they're not as bothered about their departure from the faith as they were when we first talked. When you depart from the faith, at first you may feel some pain of conscience, but over time, the conscience is burned over to nothing, burned out to nothing, and you're okay with almost anything. And the Holy Spirit through Paul said this would happen. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared over. Defection from the faith begins when we listen to sources that cannot be trusted and we gradually stop listening to the source that can be trusted. In Paul and Timothy's time, the apostasy would take shape as described in verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Two things would be taught, the Holy Spirit said through Paul. Two things would be taught, and some would be deceived by hearing these two things, celibacy and food restrictions. Now, most of us know enough history to associate this with the very early false teachings that eventually generated and became a part of the Roman Catholic system, celibacy and food restrictions. When I was in school, do you know what was on my plate in the school cafeteria every Friday? 
was always fish. There is no doubt that was due to the influence of Catholicism. It has never been a law of God that you must eat fish on Friday, but this huge, powerful religious complex came into existence with all of their statutes and decrees of celibacy and food restrictions. I believe this passage shows the Holy Spirit knew this apostasy was coming, and Paul warned Timothy about the early developments of it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, let's look at what is necessary. It is not necessary to enforce celibacy. It is not necessary to enforce food restrictions. But here is what is necessary. Receive what God created with thanksgiving. Receive what God created with thanksgiving. We can't just make up religious laws. We shouldn't be deceived by doctrines circulated by the devil through his agents who have no sincere, conscientious basis for what they do and say. But it is necessary, it is vital for us to receive what God created with thanksgiving. In one of my inquisitive moments as a little boy, I asked my daddy, why do we always pray and thank God before we eat? He read this verse to me, and then we prayed before we ate. He wasn't imposing something on me from his own imagination. He wasn't enforcing a human religious law on me. He taught me to do this. Receive with thanksgiving what God has created for us. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. That's our passage, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Next, some wrap-up points. The Bible teaches that we have a duty toward those who depart from the faith. Not only do we recognize there will be people who depart from the faith, we have a duty toward them. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. We have a duty not only to recognize the possibility of apostasy, but to respond. We have a duty toward those who depart from the faith. It is not wrong, per se, to listen to someone who is not a Christian or read an author who is not faithful to the full teaching of Scripture so long as you take the Word of God with you and verify everything with the Word of God before you accept it or you're caused to reject it. And that key word I'm getting to here is discernment. 
reading and listening to Calvinists and Catholics or generic evangelicals <clears throat> doesn't have to take you away from the faith, but it can. The critical difference is <clears throat> using the Word of God as the discerning authority with everything you expose yourself to. Now, I'm going to take you to a place you didn't expect, but it needs attention in our time. I want you to look again at verses 4 and 5. Do you know who uses verses 4 and 5 as a proof text? Marijuana growers, sellers, and users. I'm not talking about legal medical applications. I'm talking about the ordinary recreational user, the growers and sellers who claim to be living by the standards of the Bible, challenging those people you may hear these two verses. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. What may seem to be authorized here has to be qualified and limited by other passages of Scripture where we are told God expects sobriety of us. Self-control is taught in Scripture. We are not to endanger others. We are to abide by the law. We are to be sober to avoid the sin of intoxication. So there is no blanket authority here to consume everything God has made. The text is to be understood like other passages in the Bible, in harmony with the overall context. The fact that God created grapes and corn doesn't permit drunkenness. And the fact that God made certain plants doesn't mean getting stoned is okay. So that's 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. And I hope what I've said has been helpful to you in your service to God.